I'm curious, do you have a really great BS detector? You're, maybe you're often skeptical of others. Are you really street smart? Would you say you're pretty self-assured? You often find yourself being the leader in the group. Maybe you even struggle to ask for help. Do you love a good challenge? Do you fight really hard for the causes you believe in? Do you have a great sense of humor? I bet you're a blast. You might have thought that these were all parts of your personality, but they might actually be coping mechanisms you've picked up over the course of your life, and they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially on this motherhood journey. Are you curious to know more? You got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became a habit and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There are five different personality patterns and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs but rather they describe the safety strategies that we immediately go to when we start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who we are so much as what's blocking who we are. The good news is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz Now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. Because there is so much grief with with any kind of fertility struggle, we are grieving this potential future we had in mind, right? Like, you know, I know for me, when I wasn't sure if we would get pregnant because we had two and a half years of zero positive pregnancy tests, right? I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to become a mom or be able to become a mom in the way that I was thinking I would be. And So there is so much grief, right? Grief around every failed cycle, grief around failed treatment, of course, grief for any pregnancy losses that happen along the way. And sometimes on the outside, people don't fully see that or understand it because it's not this like tangible thing, right? Like they're not, they're saying like, well, I, I haven't seen a child of yours that you've lost, right? And so they might not understand what that grief is. I think, right, if anyone's listening and kind of going through any kind of fertility struggle right now, like, oh, there is so much grief in that. Welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast, the show for ambitious women ready to get off the hot mess express. I know you've got a lot going on. You work so hard. You're raising an incredible family. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. I'm your host, Michelle Grosser. I'm a certified master life coach, attorney, wife and mom. And years ago, I was right where you are. I was running a busy law practice while raising a family, and I was on the fast track to burnout. I thought I just needed to be more organized or have better routines, but it was learning how to heal and regulate my nervous system that expanded my capacity to gracefully hold more of this big, beautiful life. You too are worthy of an extraordinary life in and beyond motherhood. Learning to be a calm, anchoring presence in your home and at work is going to be your superpower. If you're here to do the inner work that brings a sense of calm amidst the chaos, I'm here to join you on that journey. Each time you press play, your growth continues. So let's get at it. Hey, welcome to the Calm Mom podcast. 
I'm your host, Master Coach Michelle Grosser, and we are so grateful that you've taken the time to join us on the show today. Today, we have a conversation with Kayla Estenson-Williams, and you guys, it is so good. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she specializes in attachment trauma, anxiety, and perfectionism, and really the experiences of, of infertility and pregnancy and parenthood and all the things. Um, she really helps her clients to connect the sense of self-worth. You guys know how much I love to talk about self-worth and self-compassion, and it's really the heart of her work also. Kayla is someone who has personally experienced the ups and downs of infertility and pregnancy and postpartum. So when she speaks, she really speaks from a place of of understanding how important it is to receive support during these different phases of our lives. So she she's on a mission to empower women going through some of those same challenging experiences and hold a space for their healing and just be present in the process and, and gain confidence, help them to gain confidence in themselves. I hope this conversation blesses you. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're inspired. I hope you learned something new. Enjoy. Kayla, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you here today. Grateful for your time. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, it's going to be good. Before we kind of jump into the substance of it all, I would love if you just took a minute, introduce yourself to our listeners and kind of tell them a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. Yes. So I am Kayla Estenson-Williams. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in Minnesota. And so I have my own private practice, Kayla Estenson Wellness, where I work with mostly attachment trauma, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about today. So I work a lot with that, as well as infertility, pregnancy, and postpartum are some other specialties that I have. So love working with people to just hold space for all of the the tough things that can come with those experiences. Yeah, really important work. It's beautiful. Yes. So you talk about attachment trauma, and I would love for you to just explain a little bit about what that is and maybe how it differs than other types of trauma. Totally. So attachment trauma, otherwise known as complex trauma or developmental trauma, I tend to just stick with attachment trauma because I Feel like we we all kind of know what attachment means or have a, a little bit of an idea of that. Sure. And that is where we have different levels of trauma from our attachment relationships. So most often these are going to be caregiver relationships, but they can also be siblings or you know significant relationships, partners that we've had in life. Most commonly, these are going to start off when we are younger because that's where we are like figuring out relationships and attachment and all of that stuff, but it can certainly happen later on too. And this can feel a lot different or can look a lot different than kind of, you know, most of us are familiar with PTSD or that single incident trauma where it's like one really big thing happens and, and we can kind of mark that difference in, in the impact on mental health after that. Whereas attachment trauma often is going to be a lot of different incidents and sometimes they're going to look kind of small from the outside. Like if they were very infrequent, they might not be such a big deal, such as like if a parent invalidates an emotion you have, that doesn't happen often. It's probably not going to have a huge impact, but if it happens over and over again, those smaller incidents can feel really big. This is going to be just breaks in those attachment relationships, whether it be 
you know, not holding space for emotions or holding high expectations to be like worthy and accepted, those kinds of things. So with attachment trauma, a lot of times, like I'll have clients come in who maybe aren't aware that they have these different layers of trauma. And as we unpack, we're like, oh yeah, here it is. So that's how it differs a little bit too. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And that's kind of where I was going to ask next. Like we've we've probably all experienced some sort of attachment trauma at some point, right? It's like it's such a complex yes. relationship. And I, I guess one, if you could speak to that, and then two, how it might be showing up for us where we're not even really aware that that's the root of it. Totally. Yeah. So it is just, yeah, so much more common than we are aware of. And yeah, because I think our, our society at large doesn't really talk about how these quote unquote smaller things can be so impactful. A lot of us aren't aware that like, oh, hey, that, you know, holds a narrative in, in me that affects my self-worth or different pieces. So yeah, I would say most people have some layers of it, right? Even when parents are trying their best to really hold space for their kiddos and all of that stuff, like we're, we're all going to do something that doesn't feel awesome for a kiddo and that's okay, right? Like, so I, I think it's important to note, like it's not always a failure on the parent's part if that happens or the caregiver's part if that happens, but Ah, emotions are complex and our world is really complex and totally there's different intensities and, and levels that it can impact us, but it can show up in a lot of different ways. So a lot of, for example, a lot of the clients that I see, it will show up as anxiety and self-worth concerns and like perfectionism where they feel like they have to do everything right in order to be loved and worthy and accepted. So it can show up Kind of as like all of the other mental health diagnoses, whether it be anxiety, depression, things like that. So it might not really look like the standard trauma response that we often think of, but it can come out in just how we hold space for ourselves or don't hold space for ourselves. Mm, yeah. So I think just the awareness probably in making that connection is really powerful. Mm. Obviously, working with a therapist, like this is a journey. Yes, and I know just like checklist. Definitely. <laughs> But for people yeah. listening who are like, oh, this is striking a chord or it's making them curious, maybe. I wonder if there's like a good place you could advise them or encourage them to start exploring this. Yes. yes. Well, as you said, I, you know, maybe I'm biased because I am a therapist as well, but I always recommend therapy for it. I think it can be really helpful to just process with someone who is not in the mix of it, right? So you might not be processed. I mean, it, of course, you can process with your your own caregivers, your parents, your partners, and things like that, which is great. But if they are tied into where this attachment trauma is, that can be complicated. There can be defenses that come up and all of that. So I think processing with a therapist, and you might even like look on their bio, see if they're familiar with trauma. Most therapists are, but I think I, I like to be picky with who I'm working with when, when I'm selecting a therapist. So be picky, find someone that feels like a good fit for you. And I think that can be a really nice place to just have someone that's asking you questions to explore that and, and get curious about it. But I know sometimes therapy isn't always an option, right? Like right now, gosh, therapists are so booked up. So it can be like long waiting list to get in with someone or finances can be tough around it. So you might even just start off by doing a little bit of journaling, exploring like, okay, how do I hold space for my emotions? Like most of us, I would say it's a pretty common thing that we tend to treat others differently than we would treat ourselves. We can be a lot more harsh with ourselves. 
So kind of look at like, okay, what are those differences? How am I treating myself in some ways that maybe it wouldn't feel so good if I was doing to someone else? And then get curious about like, okay, where does that come from, right? Sometimes we can note like, oh, this is, you know, something that maybe I was taught growing up. This is what I was told. And so exploring that a little bit, holding space for it. And maybe you're talking with, you know, process it with someone you trust. Maybe it's, you know, a close friend who's shown that they can be supportive for you. That can be helpful to just gain some more awareness about like, what is going on here to unpack it some more. Yeah. I love it. You've talked about holding space for ourselves and then also yes. kind of that inner voice. And I'm curious how maybe attachment traumas can affect how it is that we view ourselves and our self-worth and that inner critic or that inner voice. Yes. So humans are social beings, right? We we have to be around others to survive, right? Like a baby isn't just like born and lives on their own and is fine, right? We We need other humans to survive. And part of that is we learn about the world, we learn about ourselves through the lens of others. So usually this is going to be your parents, your caregivers, if you know, that is what those relationships look like. And that is going to impact how we hold our self-worth. So from my perspective, all humans are fully inherently worthy, but that's not often the message that we get in our society. There's, you know, I mean, I think we're changing as a whole, but certainly like there's a long way to go still. And if if you have a caregiver that is maybe attaching your worth or acceptance based on like the grades you get in school, or if you're doing your chores at home, or if you're like making things easy for, for them at home, you are going to identify like, okay, my worth and how much I'm loved or accepted is dependent on my performance in these areas. Mm-hmm. And so then we, we believe that's true because that's all we know if you're learning that from a young age. And so then we grow up thinking, okay, I have to perform in all of these ways to be okay, to be worthy. And then if we make a mistake or if we're not perfect because we're human and we're not going to be perfect then we feel like we are flawed. We've done something wrong. We might feel shameful or guilty about things we don't need to feel guilty about. And and we might isolate because we feel like, okay, I'm not worthy and lovable because I haven't done this perfectly to these standards that I was told I was supposed to meet. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking about myself as a parent while you're saying all these things, because yes. I think too, it's such comfort maybe is the right word for those of us who have children who don't necessarily always listen or fit the mold or you know do all of the things yes. because there's beauty within all of that and power and all of that too yes. like I think a lot of times we tend to are just our our easier I say that in air quotes child yeah. I think is the one that like we're maybe doing the things right with or all of these things but that's not necessarily true the more we just focus or reinforce on only those things yes. outside rules achievements behavior the people yes. think it's easy for us in the moment but we have to be aware I think of long-term, what's the message we're sending? Yes, I love that. And it's like, I've seen this quote around like, people pleasers start as parent pleasers. And so, right, like you're hitting such a good note. Like if your kid is comfortable, like pushing back or maybe doing things outside of the norm, like that maybe is a great indication of like, cool, like I'm making it feel comfortable enough for them to not always just agree 100% with what I'm saying or doing. Yeah. So it's a good reminder in the moment when it feels really frustrating. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yes. This is okay. It's, not, it's, it's a beautiful reframe. Yes. Yeah. Also, and also on the, on the flip side of it, I guess, too, I'm thinking specifically of my oldest. Yeah. 
is is also giving such permission for them to just be messy and like you know when I pick them up from school to hold back and not ask how the test went or the spelling to be or whatever right away and first to focus on you know how was yes. how are your friends how did you feel because I want to try for that not to be the focus always yes right and that's just so great right it's looking at like okay hey I'm holding space for them as a human being and their emotions and experiences and yes part of their experiences is going to be like that spelling test or whatever but that's not a hundred percent of what their experience was like that day right yeah I love that so for for those of us listening that can relate to a lot of this, I know I certainly can. Like yes. that, you know, high achiever, give me the rules, give me the checklist. I love yeah. to live in my little boxes. Everything mess yes. feels very unsafe. It's something I'm definitely working through. Totally. But and maybe it's self worth stuff too. Maybe it is that that yes. inner voice. What are some ways that we can just start to I don't know if break through that is the right word, but just like work yeah. through it maybe. Yes. So, you know, through this processing and unpacking, I I think it can be really helpful first to like identify like, okay, where did these stories come from? What are these narratives? And then identify like, again, looking at, okay, am I treating myself differently than I would treat someone else, right? A lot of times we hold narratives for ourselves, stories of like, okay, if I do this, then I'm worthy. If I don't do this, I'm not worthy. But we would not hold that for anyone else. So to notice those differences And practice calling them out in the moment, right? Like we're not going to do it 100% of the time. So I just want to note for any of you perfectionists out there, like you don't have to heal perfectly. You're allowed to like make mistakes and forget about things and come back to it later. I know that was something important for me when I started all of this too. But start to notice those differences and then explore, hey, what are my true values, things that I want to really hold for other people, right? So these might be about like compassion or flexibility, you know, explore what those are. You might even Google like a list of values and just just be curious about like, okay, which ones really resonate with me? And then identify, okay, based on these values, how do I want to see myself, right? How, how do I want to care and nurture myself? And you might list out, you know, some some narratives or some storylines with it. You might also just write out like some actions, some behavior. So I think self-care as an action is a really nice thing here. So of course, self-care is, you know, I think we all hear about self-care all the time. Self-care, you need self-care, you need boundaries, which is great because it, it helps us. But looking at it as an action, right? Hey, if I am giving myself time to feel my emotions, or if I am, you know, going to therapy, or if I am taking a bubble bath at the end of a long day, not only is it something that's going to be beneficial in the moment, but you're also sending this message of like, hey, I am worthy and deserving of these lovely things. Like, even when I didn't do perfect day at work today, or even when I have a to do list still, and I'm giving myself a break to like, just be a human because that's where I am first and foremost. So these these little things, if we really tune into them, can have some nice big impacts too. I love that. I've been thinking about it like we all hear we have to fill our cup so or like we can't pour from yes. an empty cup, right? And I think that's yeah. so true. Yeah. And we also deserve to have full cups, not only so we can fill in and, exactly. and pour out with our kids and our family and everyone else we take care right. of because we deserve it too. 
Yes. Right. Like, and I think if we really like sit in on that, right, then we are just sending ourselves this message of I am worthy, right? Like me just as myself without any other role that I have in life, I am worthy and deserving of these lovely, like full cups that we get to have. Yeah. A practice that I went through a little while back was kind of writing down all the things that I liked about myself that had Um, nothing to do with anyone else. It wasn't like I'm a good mom. It's like, like, and it took a moment to sit down and say, like, or think about my identity that's not tied yeah. to anyone else. Because I think we can right. very easily, if we're not intentional and aware, lose that in motherhood. Yes. Oh, totally. And I think, right, like, as as a whole, so many of us feel that. But, right, I'm I'm assuming many of your listeners are probably women and we as women feel that a lot, right? Our society really zeroes in on our worth, in quotes, being dependent on the roles that we serve, whether it's daughter or partner, parent, whatever. Like we feel that our whole worth in existence is dependent on that. And it's like, yes, these roles can be really wonderful that we hold in life and be really like true to us but they are not us, right? Like we are so much more than that. Too. Yes. Like we are incredible women who are also raising children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? yeah. And all of that is so true. And also I think the added pressure of like the martyrdom within it, yes. like you're a better mom if you're a more selfless mom or what, whatever the story. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot here. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit because I know yes. you mentioned another part of your practice is infertility. And I kind of just want to talk a little bit about, you know, whatever maybe you want to share about your story. I think it's probably fair to say that most women listening have dealt with some sort of either pregnancy loss, miscarriage. I think it's a lot more common yes. than we give it credit for. Totally. I know for myself, I have two children now but before I had four miscarriages and like the first one in particular just blindsided me because I had no idea how common they were people don't talk about it it doesn't get enough airtime there's so much stigma and I think like these connotations that are associated with it and because of my ignorance I think in all of it or naivety we had just told the whole world that we were pregnant and then to go through miscarriages over and over and over was a lot. And the more I shared my story, the more I realized so many women were like, oh yeah, that happened to us too. Oh yeah, that happened to us too. And I just love that, you know, you're willing to step into that space, share the story. I love that it's getting airtime and that you're willing to do it because women need to know that they're not alone. Totally. And back at, like, I, I just love that you are sharing your story of it, right? Because it is so like, it, all of these things, infertility and pregnancy loss are so common. And yet you just do not hear about it. Right. And, and I had that very same experience when I started talking with friends about my experience in infertility. So many more people opened up with like, oh, wow, like I have that story too. And so, yeah, I'll just share a little bit about like my experience with that and what that looked like. So we, I would say it was about two and a half, maybe a little bit longer than that, that we were experiencing infertility before I got pregnant with our little one that is now almost six months old. So that's a really, you know, there's there's a lovely ending with that, but I know that not everyone gets that lovely ending with it. But yeah, so it was about two and a half years that we were working towards that. And 
in testing and everything, we just had unexplained infertility, which is great that they didn't find anything wrong. But also it's like, okay, well, what is wrong, right? Something's not right. And what can we do with that? And me with my own little perfectionist and wanting to control things, I was like, I need to have the answers and figure out what to do with it, which, you know, we just didn't get some great answers with that. And so we did kind of four back-to-back rounds of IUI, none of those took, and and then it took almost a year off of treatment to just like, ooh, this was a lot. And right, I think anyone who's listening who has experienced infertility or pregnancy loss, right, there can be this big like feeling of uncertainty and this question mark of, am I going to be able to grow my family in the way that I want? And right, talk about trauma, right? That that can yeah. feel significantly traumatic. And then eventually we were ready and we're like, okay, let's jump into IVF, which is quite an experience, right? There's so much that goes into that, all of the shots and going in for appointments and all of that. It is quite a whirlwind. Um, And I feel extremely lucky that our first cycle worked for us, which I know is not super common for that first cycle to work. And so it was so wonderful that that did. But then, of course, and I'm sure, you know, you can probably experience with your own story of like some of that anxiety that can come in pregnancy when it was so hard to get to that point and then wondering okay, is this going to stick around? What's going to happen here? And so then I jumped into that whole phase during pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially the last part of your story about once you are finally pregnant and then the anxiety that that I remember. So my oldest is almost six, but having a tab saved on my computer and it was this graph of like each day of pregnancy, how the risk of miscarriage goes down. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes. I I 100% was checking that on the daily for the first (laughs) trimester. And every day I'm like, okay, we're a little bit closer. We're a little bit closer. Yeah. Incredible. Something I noticed when you were sharing your story is that you use the word experience. Like when I, when we were experiencing infertility and I think that's significant and I would love for you to just I think it's intentional for you to share what the mindset is with using a word like that with infertility or with anything else that we're going through. Yes, I am big on on the word and the exploration of experience, right? I was, as I was like typing up a bunch of my client notes yesterday, like I probably have the word experience in every single one of it because I think it is really just tuning into what is my experience and making sure we are holding space for that so often. And I have certainly been in this mindset and and this is my thing to like work through, but it can be like, okay, where's my goal? Here are my problem solving steps and boom, boom, boom. And we're just focused so hard on the goal, which is like great to focus on our goal and be effective. But it's also like, we're not tuning into like the process of it. So I think really exploring, okay, what is the experience, right? Like what emotions come up here for me? What dynamics are showing up in my relationships? You know, what what different thoughts and all of that is is present in this moment. And I think for me in my experience of infertility, it was really learning and growing from that, right? I I don't I want to be clear that I'm not saying like here is the silver lining of infertility or or trouble, but saying, oh hey, this is something that I'm going through. This is really significant in my life. And so I'm going to like sit with it and get curious with it and and see where I can grow and um 
connect to myself a little bit more. And so I think all of the experiences that we have in life can be learning opportunities, right, where we get to learn about ourselves. And I know certainly for me, through my experience of infertility and getting a lot of therapy and processing during that time, as well as like during pregnancy and and all of that, I learned a lot about how I want to hold myself and and also parent. I think that those have helped me to become so much more of a present parent too, because I've been really tuned in with this experience of it all. Have you ever caught yourself wondering why you do the things you do? Like, why do you get so angry and yell at your kids when they're moving at a snail's pace in the morning? Or why is it so hard to relax when the house is a mess? If so, you've got to take my personality patterns quiz. Because here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. And over time, those defenses became a habit, and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is really actually often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There's five different personality patterns, and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, but rather they describe the safety strategy that you immediately go to when you start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who you are, but rather what's actually blocking who you are. And the good news is that once you take the quiz and you learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern and then live and parent as your true and authentic self. So click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two-minute personality patterns quiz. I think part of that experience too is that because there's not a lot of talk around it, I think sometimes as women, we don't know how we're supposed to like respond even emotionally because I think there's so much grief and all of these other emotions associated with it. And because we're not encouraged to speak about it, it's something that happens, you know, at home or at the doctor's office. And then we're expected to just continue on our day to day in violence or you know whatever is expected of us especially if we have other children I know that like that our our responsibilities don't stop so I would just love for you to speak to that a little bit I think one the grief and allowing ourselves to process everything that comes up and maybe just for women who've been through it or in it now like just giving them permission to to be yes oh totally and right I think just in so many different areas of life these days we are just so focused on, hey, what is my goal? How do I problem solve? How do I get there? And that is kind of how it goes at your doctor's appointments, right? Like your doctor, if if you're going through any kind of fertility treatment, or if you are like trying to figure out like, hey, why have I had these losses, right? Like a lot of times it is just so clinical kind of, right? Like here is the next step and they do it all day. So this is just their job. But then we kind of feel like, okay, like I'm just supposed to do these things and feel okay about it. Uh, And then if you're talking with someone in your life, whether it be a family member or friend, and maybe they just don't get it, maybe they, you know, can't fully wrap their head around it. They might be kind of focused on that too, or they might be focused on positive things, right? They might be like, well, right. So for someone who has experienced frequent losses, right? Like they might say like, oh, well, you're pregnant now. Like, this is great. This is exciting. And someone who's had a lot of loss might be like, well, 
this is actually really scary, right? Because there is so much grief with, with any kind of fertility struggle. We are grieving this potential future we had in mind, right? Like, you know, I know for me, when I wasn't sure if we would get pregnant, because we had two and a half years of zero positive pregnancy tests, right? I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to become a mom or be able to become a mom in the way that I was thinking I would be. And so there is so much grief, right? Grief around every failed cycle, grief around failed treatment, of course, grief for any pregnancy losses that happen along the way. And sometimes on the outside, people don't fully see that or understand it because it's not this like tangible thing, right? Like they're not, they're saying like, well, I, I haven't seen a child of yours that you've lost, right? And so they might not understand what that grief is. But I think, right, if anyone's listening and kind of going through any kind of fertility struggle right now, like, oh, there is so much grief in that, right? Like, even the like positive things that happen can still hold a lot of grief because it can be scary or remind us of other grief moments. And I think it's just so important to hold a lot of space for that. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah. I think too sometimes people, even like close family and friends that mean well, mm-hmm. they'll take that you know spiritual bypassing angle and they're really trying to encourage and comfort us but they'll say things like everything happens for a reason or i know you know or what you know we all know those comments totally and i wonder if you have some maybe from personal experience or just from the work that you're doing um really just advice or encouragement for women on how to respond. I think that is happening more frequently than than totally Yes. And I think there's kind of a number of different things and and levels of things that you can do. And I think the first piece is to just like, know that we get to be intentional about who we are sharing these vulnerable things with, right? If, If we have someone in our life who has repeatedly not been able to hold space for what we're feeling, or maybe we've tried to explain it, and they just don't seem to get it, like, it's okay to not include them in that journey. And like, oh, we get to hold space for the grief there too, because that that really sucks, right? If there's someone that we're close to that just doesn't get it, it's there's a lot of grief in like, hey, I wanted this person to be close with me in this process. And, you know, it just isn't healthy for me to do so, right? So we hold space for the grief, but we can be intentional of being like, I get to protect myself and, and not open up to all of those things. But with that being said, I think it's also important to know that like sometimes people just need a little education on what's going on as well as how they can show up for us. And it's okay to be frustrated about that, right? Like you are going through it and it's like frustrating to have to add this layer of like, okay, now I have to tell this person like what I need or how to show up for me. Um, so you get to feel that frustration, but letting someone know, right? If they say something like everything happens for a reason or whatever, I found it to be helpful to kind of double down on my vulnerability. If it feels like a person that I I feel like they're going to be able to get there with me, you know, I might then respond of like, you know, actually like I I'm feeling really sad or I'm feeling, you know, really hopeless right now. Like just zeroing in on that emotion and then you know maybe even letting them know 
hey, can you just help me like just just validate this emotion for me or give me some space to just talk through these feelings that I'm having? And and I think with that, like it is important to also like if you try and you and you double down on that vulnerability and you try to be really open with someone, maybe they double down on their positive talk or problem solving or something that doesn't feel helpful. Take care of yourself after that conversation. Right. Because you need to give yourself the support that you were you were asking for from someone else. And it it's tough that you didn't get it from that person, but you're also allowed to really hold that space for yourself that you need. Mm, yes, it's beautiful. I feel, I feel that. Yeah. And I think with all of the emotions that come with infertility, pregnancy loss, yes. just in general, I would love for you to speak to the importance that we do feel them, right? That we make the time, the space to actually feel them and not get yes. in this loop of shoving them aside, dismissing them, right. even if they're really mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Yes, right. So feelings are, again, I I know I sound a little like a broken record, but I know our society like just teaches us like, okay, just focus on your goals and like feelings don't really matter, right? And then you might have some attachment trauma where your caregivers doubled out on that message for you. And, and so this can, we can see how it's all really connected, but feelings are so important, right? Like emotions are, are motivating factors, right? Like anger lets us know when we need a boundary. Sadness lets us know when we need some support. Joy lets us know when we're connecting to something that we want to connect to more. So emotions give us so much information. And I think it's important to know, even with the emotions that do not feel so great, that feel really uncomfortable, they are telling us something, right? So grief, and sadness or hopelessness or whatever you might be experiencing with this, like it is letting you know, hey, you need, you need some comfort, you need some support, you need some care. And so sitting with that, right, you might do some journaling or talk with your therapist about it, or just explore like, okay, what am I feeling? How can I make sure I'm really validating it? So the the thing that I teach with all my clients is every emotion is valid, right? Not every thought from the emotion is true, but every emotion is valid. Whatever we are feeling, it deserves to be there. It's okay. And so validate that emotion, right? It makes sense I feel blank because blank, right? Like it makes sense I'm feeling sad because this cycle didn't work for me or whatever. Holding space for that and then get curious about, okay, what do I need, right? Like we might need a nice like walk in nature with our dog or we might need to talk with our partner about it or you know, you might say like, you know what, I need to find some other people who get it. And you might search for some like, you know, process groups so you can connect with others who who get it too. So tuning in with our emotion is going to let us know what we are needing, right? What our human self is needing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times those uncomfortable emotions give us more information than sometimes the comfortable ones do. Yeah, they're all deserving of our attention. Yeah, maybe even more so. You're right. Um, I love that you're tying it to these two because I think, again, probably part of a societal cultural thing is that not only are we not in tune, I think, with our needs, but we're probably encouraged that the fewer we have, the better. So I think that's a beautiful practice. And also, I would love maybe our our final discussion topic today, just some insight on one we identify our needs how we can best express them, especially when we're in moments where we're struggling and we really feel like we need some help. Totally. Yes. So once you're like sitting down and you're identifying some needs that you have, 
And there might be times where it's really important to share that with someone else because maybe you need something from them or maybe you just let need to let them know like what you're going to do for yourself. Maybe you yeah. need some support with that. And so I think, and this is where like the practice of vulnerability can be so tough, but so beautiful too, because right, let's say you have a partner that you're going through whatever it is with, I think they can be like our best ally to bring in, but it requires some vulnerability. So to know that our partners, our loved ones, our family, like they are not mind readers as much as we would love them to like just see what we're feeling and know what we need. They are not mind readers and they might be totally missing it because they're, I think, especially if you're going through some fertility struggle to, you know, remind yourself like I'm going through this, but so is my partner, which means that we might not be as tuned into what the other person needs because we're both struggling. So I think communication is so key here. And so with it, you might start off by like sitting down and saying like, hey, these are the emotions that I'm feeling. This is what's coming up. You can, you know, describe thoughts that are coming up or physical sensations that are coming up or just like emotion names that you can identify and then communicating. And because of this, like this is what would feel really helpful. All right. So you might be asking for like, hey, I just want some alone time to relax and do my own thing. Can we, you know, connect tomorrow? Or you might say like, hey, I really want you to just sit and validate and and support my emotions here, especially if your partner tends to get into problem solving mode. I think it's really helpful to let them know when do I want problem solving? When do I want just validation and support? And I know it can feel tough. And I think it is a practice to work on one, expressing our emotion, but also expressing our needs. Because just like you said, we're often taught like the fewer emotions and the fewer needs we have, the better, right? And gosh, if you have some different attachment trauma pieces with this, you might feel like oh, I'm a burden if I'm needing this from my friend or my partner or whoever, right? I am being too much, right? So you might have these messages around self-worth that comes with having needs. And and so then we can see how it's really tied in like, okay, yep, I need to work on my attachment trauma stuff so that I can better communicate my needs and my, my feelings around this stuff. And so you might even just like put little like sticky notes around or reminders on your phone or something to just remind yourself and have it like constantly in your face like, I deserve space, like I deserve to be heard, I'm allowed to have needs, whatever it is that resonates with you. And I think it can actually be really lovely to share that with whoever, like if you have a really close person that you're working on this with, you might even name like, I'm having a really hard time asking for this because I'm feeling guilty about it. Because then that person can help us challenge that and and actually say, you know what, thank you for sharing this with me. And I'm, I'm glad you did and keep doing that. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah, it's such, it's the work, right? It's such a journey. And it is so true when you talk about how just interconnected all of it is. And I think also for myself, once I introduced children into the mix, like the mirrors that they presented, everything even became more amplified. So it's so important that we have time to connect and check in and really, really work through a lot of this stuff. Yes. Oh, totally. And, And the healing that we do helps us show up better as parents, as partners, as whatever it is in our life. Like one, it's good for us because we just deserve it ourselves. But I think it's also important to know like, hey, this is this great thing that I get to model for my kid and something that they get to grow up holding space for themselves too. And you don't have to do it perfectly. You're going to make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to, you know, 
invalidate someone in your life, but that's okay. But we can make repairs and we get to keep practicing it too. And all of that is also beautiful parenting, right? It's not yes. perfect. We can parents exactly. go beautifully through the messes and the mistakes and the apology yes. and the accountability and the responsibility, yes. all of it. And how powerful that is, right? Yes. Like so. I know a lot of people in, in our generation might be like, oh, like my parents never apologized for anything because that just wasn't the thing to do. And like, gosh, how powerful it is to have a parent say, I'm sorry, I didn't communicate how I wanted to, right? And this is what I want to do instead, right? Like that is so beautiful. And mine are, it's so beautiful. And mine are four and almost six now too, where they yeah. can actually start holding me accountable. Like if I, I love it, guys, and I'm like, you know, next time I'm going to, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to take a deep breath before I, or yeah. I'm like, mom, I think you need to take a deep breath now. And I'm like, you're so right. Thank you for that reminder. <laughs> What a great like indication of like, oh, I am modeling this for them, right? Because they're they're keeping me on track too. They yeah. sure are. And they're aware of it. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. I love, I love that. This has been so good. Thank you. I really appreciate yes. it. Let everyone know where they can find you and connect with you. Yes. Yes. So I am on Instagram at Kayla Estenson Wellness. That's K-A-Y-L-A-E-S-T-E-N-S-O-N Wellness. And from there, you can find all the links to my website. Kaylastinson.com. I have a podcast where I talk a lot more about attachment trauma and these kinds of things if you'd like some more of that. But yeah, if you go to my Instagram, you'll find links to, to all the things that you can connect with me on too. Awesome. And we'll include all of those in the show notes for you guys listening. Beautiful. Yes. Well, thank you, Kayla. I really appreciate your time. Yes. It was so lovely talking with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you on this episode. My pleasure. If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, Your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com where you'll find free resources and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.